Hey, welcome to Vine Church Fort Myers podcast. We are glad that you took time to listen. We pray that the message of grace empowers you today. All right, let's jump into the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 4. Hallelujah, we made it. We crossed chapter 3 and we are stepping into chapter 4 of this amazing letter of Paul to the church of Ephesians. This is one of the most profound texts in the New Testament, in the Holy Scripture. And until chapter 3, we learn about the wealth, the riches of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but just to hear the word riches makes me smile. Tell yourself, I am very rich. Let me hear your voice say, I am very rich. Now with a smile in your face, say, I am very rich. You have abundance of anointing, abundance of grace, abundance of strength, of power, of glory. Those are words that Paul says, we are very rich. Would you remind yourself once again, say, I am very rich. Yeah, you cannot leave this, this service today thinking you're miserable, you're poor, because you're very, very rich. Now we are stepping now on the second part of the book. That speaks about the walk. So the first part is the wealth. The second part is the walk. And the last part is the war. So we're going to talk about the warfare when we come to chapter 6. Okay. But until then, we're going to be talking on the walk. Let's jump into the word and then we're going to pray. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 and on. I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, which all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body. And one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Oh, he definitely was from the south. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Verse 9. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Say amen, everybody. The title of my message is The Worthy Walk. And the only way we're going to get into this way of walk. Hallelujah. If you understand first what we had inherited in our spiritual bank account. If you don't know the value of the treasures you have, you're going to walk as an ordinary normal person. But the Lord has a worthy walk, a noble walk for each one of us. Close your eyes, bow your heads. Holy Spirit, fill this room. Let your scripture be revealed in a fresh new perspective. Open up a new layer, God, of revelation as we go through these holy grounds of Ephesians. As we read and meditate once again, in these very known passages, Father, I pray for a fresh insight and each one of us be built up and become stronger, sharper, even more insightful in your will and purpose for each one of us. I pray in Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Now, again, we are entering the session on the walk of the Christian and the Bible is very clear we should walk in a manner worthy of our calling the way you walk shows a lot your personality of your baggage it says that even soldiers can recognize one another based on how they posture themselves in the way they walk because whoever served for so long in the armed force they develop a, a noble high stand posture to walk it says that a, a, a doctor wondering why an elderly couple was so healthy he interviewing them asked, how did you guys develop such a good health during all those years? And the couple said, look, it's because in the early years of our marriage, we agreed, we made a deal that whenever we got into a disagreement or fight, we're going to force each other into a walk. And he looked to the doctor and says, you can notice that we had many walks during the years right so definitely the way you walk express 
your spiritual health as well. Christianity is much more a matter of walk than a matter of talk. And this is important because as evangelical, we like to learn things. Brothers come to me sometimes after the service and they want to compliment my preaching. And they say, Pastor, I learned something really awesome and new today in your message. I really appreciate that. But the Christian life is much more a matter of living out whatever you are learning from us. It is important you learn, but it's important more that you apply that in your life. As I was becoming a young adult, my parents decided to trust a little bit more in my management skills. And particularly in a situation that was very crucial for my family business. At the end of each business day, someone had to go all over the stores my parents uh, had. They used to have eight stores in the city. And we had to collect the money of the end of the day, the sales day. So you can imagine you going to the stores, you know, picking up all that amount of money, a lot of money sometimes, and we had to bring to the bank the other day or sometimes even in the same day. It was a very uh, serious role. And again, we're talking about Brazil. And as much as I love my country, you never go in Brazil in public carrying a lot of money. Like every Brazilian agrees with me. It's simple like that. But we had to. And I remember my dad giving me a very good advice. He says, just be discreet. No one needs to know that you carry so much money. But it was impossible. Because as soon as that money was in my hands, my posture changed. Because I, it was so much money that I, I expressed in my face I was carrying something different. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. Only let the manner of life, your manner of life, be worthy of the gospel. The gospel of Christ. So that whether I come or see or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. With one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. There is a, a value in what you know. So we should not be sloppy with that precious reach. The fact that you carry such a valuable message should organically, naturally change the way you walk. The word worthy here, it's also the same meaning for weight. Heavy load weight. Let's, let's read Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, 9. And so from the day we heard that we have, not, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all His spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It's almost now you, you are carrying such a weight 
that he, the weight of that message changes your posture, changes your, your walk weight. Now, I'm not only talking on your physical exterior appearance of walking. It's your manner of life. So to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Again, the message of Ephesians from the very beginning was meant to be extremely pragmatical, super practical. And I know for, for three chapters, we are diving into this deep doctrinal content. And now you are aware of all this heavy weight of treasure entrusted to you. But that riches should simply be used into a practical way of life. Now, th this is to go against hypocrisy. Because the, the problem with many Christians is that we are known out there as hypocrites. We, we talk too much, we preach too much, and we live too little. We walk too little. And, and Paul is trying to push us to be more pract practical. Live out the message we hold so dear. So we tend to be a group of people that like to talk about what we know. But Jesus, in any moment in his ministry, was making proselytes or Pharisees, Talmudins, students that had big heads and small feet. Jesus was on the mission of making disciples. Matthew 23, 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, a convert to Judaism, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. So God forbids us to make fake services. To, to be those kind of churches and movement that is about fake worship nights. Fake life groups. Fake followers, because we have this bunch of people watching us, but not necessarily walking on what they are learning. We are in the same mission of Christ. Actually, we are in the great commission of making, overcoming disciples. We must live out our calling. John 13, verse 15, for I have given you an example. And you also should do just as I have done to you. What is the context here? The context is Jesus showing clearly. It's not much about what I taught. It's about what you guys saw me doing. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now I love verse 17. Pay attention. If you know these things. Everybody say, I know these things. Let me hear everybody say, I know these things. Well, you definitely have to know. At least give me some, you know, encouragement here. Because I'm teaching you every Sunday. 
We, we are teaching you. And you know these things. But now Jesus gives this ultimatum. Blessed are you if you do them. And I know Nike brags to have the, the motto, but it's all just do it. Just do it. What do you have learned? Forgive again. Walk the second mile. Join your group. Be active next season. Stop to create these excuses why you don't go there. Uh, I don't know why I don't read the Bible. Look, I, I already told you guys, we are the most unexcusable generation regarding the scripture. We have the Bible in audio. The Bible in video. We have, we have a, a, a TV series that we can watch in episodes. The Bible. My goodness. Enough, enough with hypocrisy. If you need help, ask for help. If you struggle with your walk with Christ, decide to join a group. And find this help, but finally start to walk. First John chapter 1. If we say we have fellowship with Him, while we walk in darkness, we lie. And do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, let me, I, I dare say that much of your walk can be clearly measured, perceived, if you are walking in fellowship with someone in the local church. And I know I, I am biased to say that because I'm the pastor. But the only thing I, I gain out of this is your growth. There's no immediate benefit to myself. And the Bible clearly makes this relation between your relationship with God, your serious walk with Christ, and your relationship with the church. Actually based on these verses in 1 John. Put it there again. The last verse. Even the perception of the blood of Jesus. Yes. The perception of the cleaning of your sins. Is relative to the fellowship with the brothers. It's not that this is not totally doctrinal right. But it's just that psychological aspect. When, when you don't walk with the brothers, uh, you just feel missing parts. The perception of the effectiveness of the blood is it's different for those that are in fellowship. A Christian walk is never a lone ranger walk. If you're walking alone, you may not have understood what being... Christian is all about. So there's no such a thing like Christianity in your living room, in your living room by yourself without connections. Even if this connection is broad, broadband internet, but there is a minimal connection. Galatians chapter 5, 16. I say, Walk by the Spirit. It's all about walking. 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The spiritual walk that makes you overcomer, committed, holy, consecrated, is a walk in the spirit. It's not a steady thing alone. I don't know about you, but when I think walk or run or race, the, the, the image, the movie that comes to my mind is Forrest Gump. Run, Forrest. Run. How many of you guys ever watched Forrest Gump? That would be a good suggestion for at the movies this year. Yeah, that would be nice because everybody watch it. It is cool. Come on, guys. I like the idea. Now, the word here is from definition to demonstration. We come from the definition of what we have in Christ to demonstrate through our walk what we have in Christ. And unfortunately, some of my teachings from this point on will make no sense if you are not connected, if you are not in the body. Verse 2 and 3, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So those verses is, is defining us what this walk is it's expressed clearly. And the first characteristic that can be summarized from all these words is humility. Say the word humility. So humility, it's, a, it's hard to define, but we have a good scripture to sustain a, a, a good meaning for humility. Let's take a look in Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was... God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Verse 7. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So here's the definition. You know who you are. You, you know clearly your identity. You know your strength. But because you are humble, you know also how to hold it back. You know how to control your strength. Now, look, I'm not talking about passivity. Okay? It's not you being passive, but you being meek. You're not gutless or coward. You are gentle. Gentleness is not spineless or weakness. But it's an indication that a person remains patient, calm, humble, peaceful. Especially in circumstances that will get... Everybody else acting on the other way. An accident, a tragedy, a fight, a disagreement. Everybody's elevating your, the voice. But you keep yourself humble. You are a peacemaker 
because you are humble. And at the end, people will look to you to have the deciding vote because you keep your cool. Humility is you deciding to serve despite your identity. Yet yeah, you could, you know, just demand a better seat, a better air conditioning system. I don't know how you're going to demand better than that, but, but you decide to contribute because you're humble. You have humility. So it's not, you, you don't attach so dearly to your title, to your badge or rank. You empty yourself. You take the form of those that you will serve. And a good sign of humility, pay attention, is if kids are not afraid to hug you. Because if you are not capable to humble yourself to serve kids, that's an indication that you see yourself better than them every time. While the kingdom of heaven is given to those that are in their likeness. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. That's a good pill for your haughtiness, your pride. For you that still struggles and think that you are so dignifying that you are not, you know, ever <laughs> humble enough to get a broom or a sweep and help us out here in the building. Let me remind you something. For who sees anything different in you? Just yourself. Look at me. Just yourself. Because your blood and bones and flesh as weak as is they are as weak as mine and we are all humans here no matter your skin color if your hair is straight or curled doesn't matter like the only one that sees any difference in you is yourself and Paul gives us this this medicine for pride what do you have that you did not receive just think about again this question what do you have that you did not receive? Come on, Pastor. My job opportunity. I am the one that actually got the chance because I had a chief. Shut up. If it was not for your parents' investment in your academic life, you never get that opportunity. And actually, even the opportunity only came to you because of the grace of God. Because there's a lot of people with, a, you know, this beautiful diploma in their walls, but had no opportunity whatsoever. But the opportunity came to you by His grace and favor. Come on, somebody. So just think in this question, you're going to notice that even the air that you breathe is not the air, it's yours. And the conclusion is the last question. If then you receive, because it's a rhetorical question, why do you boast as if you did not receive? I love this solution for our pride. You know, at least once a week, you cocky, prideful person, just bump yourself into 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and you're going to remind yourself, why am I not going to serve? Why am I not going to put myself available for my life group next season? Humility speaks of long-suffering, patience with aggravating people. Yes, irritating people do not exist Simply to put you to test. 
they are a remembrance of what we once were. Come on, somebody. So some people are, you know, sovereignly placing your life to allow you practice bearing with one another in love. Say amen, everybody. I know it's hard to say amen for a message like that. But from now on in Ephesians chapter 4, it's all about practicing our Christian life. I want to inspire you, but I want to inspire you to do something about it. And the context where this can be better applied is in the church. Because the church is about unity. Let me reinforce with this. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And Father of all. This is the climax of oneness. It's oneness in every aspect. And the Trinity is mentioned here not by chance. One Spirit, the Holy Spirit. One Lord, the Lord Jesus. And one God and Father, our Heavenly Father. Because in the likeness of the perfect Trinity community, we should be in the same way. John 17, Jesus praying, Father, I do not ask for these only, but I also, I also pray for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. In other words, most of our message, pay attention, is preached by our unity. Is displayed by the decision of us to bear one another's in love. One another in love. Now again, unity is not uniformity. Diversity is part of what we are. In the same context, Ephesians 4, 7, grace was given to each one of us. Or Ephesians 3, 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be known to the rulers, authorities in the heavenly place. So God loves diversity. Also, unity does not mean we are together all the time singing kumbaya or for us vine church yeshua it is us in the field together with the same mission knowing each other's gift and serving the body of christ that, that's why i love the balanced message of the scripture because the same author the writer of ephesians also wrote romans and in Romans chapter 12, Paul says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, 
live peaceably with all. Because it's not all the time possible to be peaceably in peace. But this will not make us less united because we fight, because we disagree. I remember every single month, at least once a month, me and my three siblings, we had to get into this four to six hours trip in a small, you know, pickup truck and go to the farm. We fought, boy. We fought a lot every time. But now we are all adults, decently mental, sane, just decently. And we love each other still. Even after we fought so much as teenagers. Real family have moments of disagreement. But this will not make us less family. Now... I need to teach you something important. Because we must to understand what is essential and what is not essential. The known essentials of Christianity. Whenever division in church happens for the sake of the essentials, the church became stronger. But every time the church divided for non-essentials, the church became weaker. Now let me explain this better for you. An example of essentials. The person, the nature, the work of Jesus Christ. If somebody knocks your door and, you know, suddenly brings a message saying that Jesus is not God... It is good that you divide from that person. That you don't have fellowship or, or call that person a brother. Because it is changing the definition scripturally of what is, what, what is the nature of Christ. Christ is God. He is our only Savior. He is the only mediator. Say amen, everybody. Another example of essential. Our theology of God all the omnis of God. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He is omnipresent. Say amen, everybody. He is almighty God. He's not half a God. He's not just partially God. He's still sovereign and good. Say with me. God is sovereign. And He's still good. And I know these two extremes seems weird. But until you don't make the bridge in your spirit... You always are going to battle. And if you have any other definition about God, let me say this is essential. It is good that we divide from persons that belittle the, the almighty power of God in any way. The definition of the Trinity. One God coexisting in three persons. Our soteriology, our, our, our definition of salvation. It is by grace, through faith, period. Say everybody, say period. There's no plus. There's no legalism. Add on. If after this you have, no, you don't have to do anything else. For your salvation, 
is by grace through faith. You see what is essential? What is no essential, pastor? Hairstyle, your hairstyle. I love your hairstyle. And you say, seriously, pastor, are, are there churches that divide because of that? You look at me, you know that it's true. There are churches that divide because of hairstyle. Long, short, hastafari. Really? What is non-essential? Modes of baptism. Should we dive? Should we sparkle the water? <laughs> you, you were laughing because, believe it or not, there are divisions in non-essential such as this. Even in speaking tongues. Should we speak or not in tongues in public? Again, quoting one of the early thinkers of the church, Augustine, known more as Saint Augustine, but he was as saint as you are saints. Say amen, everybody. So it's okay to call our brother Augustine, Saint Augustine. But if you do that, you have to allow me to call you Saint Eduardo, Saint Rafa, right? But let's call him Augustine. He says this very famous quote, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity or love. All right, let's close our message. Let's dive into the active, practical way into this content that was given to us. Let's jump to verse 11. Ephesians 4, 11. Are guys tired? I see some people are tired. But I want to hear at least one people that is not tired. Are you guys tired? No, no, right? You guys are going to receive more here. Let's close this message. Ephesians 4, 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. Now, Paul closes this introduction of the next chapter, chapter 4. Telling us that the ministry is the five-fold ministry. Do this with your big thumb. Say apostle. Say apostle. The apostle touches all the ministries. The pointing finger. Say the prophet. Thus says the Lord. The prophet is speaking to you right now. I'm not going to raise my middle finger. So I have to raise, you know, my tallest of all the fingers. Is the evangelist. Because without the work of the evangelist, we will not be here, my friend. The church will not exist. So we need the evangelists. Now the ringer finger is the pastor because he's married with the church. He cares for each one of you guys as a spouse, as a father, as a family member. Oh, the pastor cares for the church. But finally, we have the teacher that finds the little spots of the scripture and teach to the church. Say amen, everybody. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Say amen. The fivefold ministries are not there in an end in themselves. They exist to a clear purpose to prepare the saints for the work. Say work. Everybody say work. I know you don't want to say this word on Sunday, but you have to say, say work. Now, in that sense, the work of the saints 
is everything that you are not at ease, that you don't have comfort to practice. Whatever you are more comfortable, more at ease, that is your ministry. And in that ministry, you should multiply, you should pour that ministry in other brothers that don't feel at ease at that area. For example, for me, teaching is my comfort zone. Counseling or shepherding is also part of my at ease areas. So what I do, I surround myself with people that don't feel comfortable doing that. And I encourage them, I teach them how to teach, and I train them how to shepherd the body. And the conclusion is that we have a lot of teachers in our maturity course, in our LTC, and we are raising pastors in our church. However, I need work my evangelism. I need work in my prophecy in sight. So what I need is that the prophets in the house, the evangelists in the house, train me, empowers me, so I can work that ministry. Because it is not my ministry. So I have to grind that. I have to work that. Now let's think about Jesus. Did Jesus ever lack any of those ministries? Did he need any training on the ministry of evangelism? Absolutely not. Let me prove that to you. Maybe you don't know, but the guy that coined John 3.16 was Jesus. The, the most used evangelistic verse was coined by the perfect evangelist, Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Where did Jesus use this verse? When he was evangelizing. Only an evangelist will be able to say such a remarkable statement. Did Jesus ever lack the ministry of shepherd or pastor? Absolutely not. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So here's my point. Imagine a church that is like Jesus, that lacks no ministry. Let's read verse 13. When we pursue together our ministry until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to the mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, we're going to be a community that speaks the truth in love. We're going to be a community that always grow up in every way into Him, the head, into Christ. We're going to be not only a, a community. We're going to be an organism. So organic that it looks like 
the body, join and held together, verse 16, by every joint with which it's, with which it's equipped. It is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds up itself up in love. I not only imagine this church, I'm endeavoring to plant this church. A church where each member exercise their ministry, equipping one another, making overcoming disciples, who make disciples through their life groups. What is the result of that? Maybe we'll see all generations of Southwest Florida and beyond conquered for Christ. We will experience the love of Christ in a measure that we never fathom. We will be filled with the fullness of God. I really pray for that. I pray that we get to this point that we comprehend with all the saints this love. The love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And with this, be filled with the fullness of God. Is that too much to pray for? Is that too much to believe for? Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church, in you, in me. Let's always stand up. Because we are closing today our season, our first semester. And I have my heart already full of expectations and excitement for the next season of Vine Church. Guys, five months ago, we had no idea we would be here. Five months, a few days ago, a few weeks ago. What the Lord has in store for us for the next semester. I'm already excited for. But I need you. The church needs you. Thank you.